Hi, everybody. Good morning. My name is Julian Kern. I've been living here on Mercer Island for about six years, and here is a picture of my family. My husband is David Kern, and I am blessed to be the mom of a 13-year-old daughter, Sean, in seventh grade, and an eight-year-old son, James, in third grade. I attend a small group on Friday nights hosted by Nicole and Justin Bell, which includes Carrie Chen and Joanna Liao. Since I know Carrie and Joanna are always on the lookout for storytellers, I volunteered. But soon after I volunteered, I realized I'm not that interesting. I'm not the most boring person, but I'm lucky to have a relatively uneventful life. However, my boring life did not just happen of its own accord. It was because my family before me had very not boring lives and had to survive extremely interesting circumstances. The most interesting person I have ever known is my grandmother. My grandmother helped raise me. When I was born, my mother owned a wig shop in downtown Atlanta. My mom worked tirelessly as a small business owner, and she did not have the benefit of a maternity leave. So two weeks after I was born, she went back to work full time, six days a week. She did what many mothers before her have done and called in the reserves. And the reserves showed up in the form of a little old Korean lady who knew about 10 words in English when she landed. And she never did learn very many more. So what can I tell you about my grandmother, whom I will call Halmoni? She had no more than an eighth grade education. She was highly suspicious of the washer and dryer and never figured out how to use a remote control. She made me drink coffee as a child because she thought it had holistic benefits. <laughs> and she had a great sense of humor. Uh, she read the Bible. She loved God. And she loved me. We have a story in my family about a journey Harmony once took. During World War II, Harmony and her husband, my grandfather, were living in Japan because he was working for a Mitsubishi as an engineer when he was drafted against his will for the Japanese army. She lost contact with him and didn't know whether she would ever see him again. She was alone, trying to raise five children in a foreign country. By the end of the war, she was destitute, homeless. When she heard a rumor that her husband had returned to their village in North Korea, the story goes that she hitched a ride on an American Navy ship that transported her and her children back to the village in North Korea where she was born. My mom's side of the family is from a province in the most northeastern part of North Korea. It's very cold there in the winter, like Wisconsin or Minnesota. It's right there next to where it says Russian Federation. When she made it back to her village, she was heartbroken to find that her husband was not there. But her family and the people in her village says that he was actually living and working in Seoul, South Korea. So she did what she had to do and packed up her bags again, although she, I doubt she had any bags to pack. And she decided to flee to Seoul. By that time, about 1946, the Korean Peninsula had been divided. The Soviet army controlled the north, and crossing the 38th parallel was forbidden. And she, what she did next was extraordinary. She took her children, ranging in ages from 15 to four years old, my mother, 
and she walked from her village about 250 miles on foot in January. Now that is what you call perspective. Most of the time they walked at night to escape detection. It was a very dangerous journey with robbers and bandits that preyed upon and killed travelers without regard. But there was also a sort of Korean underground railroad that helped her go from home to home all the way to the demilitarized zone, and my resourceful harmony had connections. I wish I knew more details, but those details are gone with my grandmother, who passed away when I was in college. When they finally got to the DMZ, my mom, who was the youngest at the time, remembers seeing the red glow of the cigarettes of the North Korean and Soviet soldiers. Harmony used those lights to identify the location of each of those soldiers and where there might be an unguarded area to cross. They just hoped that 100% of, of the soldiers smoked. They finally crossed one night, and as my mother climbed over what was at that time a makeshift wall, she was dropped, or she slipped, and a piece of ice cut her on the face. She cried out, as you would expect a four-year-old to do. But her older brother was fast enough to clamp his hand over her mouth, stifle her cries, and whisper in her ear, do not cry. Do not cry, and I will get you the biggest bag of your favorite candy when we get to Seoul. So she did not cry, as evidenced by the fact that I'm standing here telling this story. To this day, she remains upset with her brother as he never fulfilled his end of the bargain. <laughs> Long story short, they made it to Seoul and Harmony was reunited with her husband when a stranger identified one of her sons on the street and said, hey kid, you look exactly like this guy I work with. Can you imagine what a tearful and joyous reunion that was? Now my grandparents were in an arranged marriage they met at the altar as they were getting married. But the story goes that their love was quite real. I remember asking Harmony when I was a little kid, little kid questions like, you're kind of old, Harmony. Are you afraid of, you know, dying? And she laughed and said, no, because I will be united with God in love and reunited with grandfather again. Now, another reason why I'm here today is not just because my predecessors survived their ordeal. The other reason is because my harmony knew how to love. And it is this kind of love that gave me a glimpse of what true love could be, a love that is not of this world. It was a glimpse of God's love, I think. I hope we are all lucky enough to have encountered that kind of love in our lives. So when I feel weak in spirit, like I failed when I feel doubt, I always return to love because God's love is always there for us. So I feel a little braver going through this world knowing that one day I too may be united with God in love and reunited with my harmony too. Thank you for listening to my story. This morning, our scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians. Please follow along in your Bibles or use the screens. I'll be reading verses 12 through 20 from chapter 12 in the New International Version. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. 
For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The word of the Lord. Children, kindergarten through fifth grade are now dismissed to Sunday school. And thank you, teachers, for your dedication to the children and their formation. And thank you so much, Julian, for sharing that powerful story with us this morning. What a gift. Do you ever have one of those weeks where the best word to describe it is blah? <laughs> Nothing is exciting. Everything feels mundane. And each task, whether big or small, can feel overwhelming. That was my week. It seemed as though my daughters got together and decided collectively to be extra whiny, hyper, and complain more than usual this week. My house was impossible to keep clean, and my to-do list here and at home seemed to only grow longer instead of shorter as the week went on. And to top things off, my husband could do nothing right this week. I'm sure he wished he had been able to go on the men's retreat. I was extra critical, easily annoyed, and our good Lord gifted me with the task of preaching a sermon at the end of this week. I'll be honest, I did not feel like a spiritual person, let alone a leader, this week. My prayers were filled with complaints and wants. I was distracted during my time reading the Bible, and my Christian witness was minuscule at best. So this morning, I lean into the promise of 2 Corinthians, where Paul reminds us what God told him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I am here this morning as a vessel of God's grace that has felt a bit run dry. But the goodness and grace of God is that even in those moments, Christ will sustain me. One of the greatest gifts that God has given to the church, a community of believers, to encourage us and walk alongside us in the ups and downs of this life. This is our affirmation this morning, the fellowship of believers. Our sermon series as of late has been on the covenant affirmations. These are the beliefs that our denomination holds to as anchors in our faith. 
A few weeks ago, Pastor Paul kicked off the series with the centrality of the Word of God and the necessity of new birth. And last week, Pastor Julie preached about the commitment to the whole mission of the church. The Evangelical Covenant Church, the denomination in which our church is a part of, was formerly known as Mission Friends. The early days of our denomination were believers meeting together in each other's homes to read the word together, to pray, and to participate in the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion. These were known as conventicles. From these home churches, the established church building started to take root, and the covenant church started to grow. The mission friends represented two key factors in the life of the church. One, to be missional, as Pastor Julie talked about last week. And two, to be in relationship with one another, friends. As a leader in our denomination, Tim Johnson put it, friendship is a peer relationship between equals. And we see God's call for humans from the very beginning of time to be in relationship with one another. In the creation account in Genesis 1, we see that God is forming two images and two beings in God's image, male and female. And in the account in Genesis 2, we learn that God sees that it is not good for man to be alone. In order to live out the Christian life, we must do so within community. And research outside of the church has also shown the value of community. In Robert D. Putnam's book, Bowling Alone, he says, people divorced from community, occupation, and association are the first and foremost among supporters of extremism. His book was published in the early 2000s, and even then, trends were showing a dramatic decrease in people's involvement in community groups. And it was at that time that we saw and we continue to see as we become more insular, depression, anxiety, and loneliness rates climb. Community is not only a good, but it is a necessity for life. As I explained earlier, this week was not one I want to repeat anytime soon, but a key sustainer in it was my community. I reached out to a dear friend from seminary to spark some creative juices to write this sermon. I talked to other moms who understood the feelings I had towards my children, and I was given the gift to meet with some of you, to hear your stories of life and faith, and be encouraged that my present reality was not forever. The truth that one cannot live the Christian life in solitude was most evident to me when my brother died. It was two loving and faithful roommates in seminary who saw me through those devastating first years. It was a believing church community that created space for me to weep during worship each week and offer me their faith when mine felt shaken. It was people in my, worry, in my world that shared their stories of deep loss. They offered advice, a listening ear, and helped me see a path forward. It was my faith community who taught me how to carry this grief and not to let it destroy me. 
And I am certain, without them and God, that is exactly what it would have done to me. Then it is no question why the Covenant Church sees fellowship as a core to our being. And a significant part of that fellowship is belief. It is what differentiates us from a social club. We are rooted and established in the love of Jesus Christ, in the promise of the good news Christ has for our world, and in that we are given purpose and understanding of why we belong to one another and what our purpose here is. New Testament theologian N.T. Wright said, the church exists primarily for two closely correlated purposes, to worship God and to work for his kingdom in the world. The church also exists for a third purpose, which serves the other two, to encourage one another, to build one another up in faith, to pray with one another, and to learn from one another and teach one another, and to set one another examples to follow, challenges to take up, and urgent tasks to perform. This is all part of what is loosely known as fellowship. The Apostle Paul saw this value and spoke of its importance to the believers being together. In our scripture passage this morning, Paul reminds us that we each bring something unique to the table, and we need each other in order to have a richer and fuller understanding of God and a a more complete picture of who Jesus Christ is. For the church to be called the body of Christ, but only parts of us decide to show up, we are limited in how we can function and our community only sees a partial picture of the wholeness of the body of Christ. I see a microcosm of this in my own marriage. My husband Ben and I met when we were in seminary. It can sometimes feel like we are as different as two people can be. Ben seems to spring out of bed in the morning and immediately gets to the duties of the day. He is inspired by people who push themselves to the limits, the kind of people who work out so hard that they throw up. And he daily looks for new challenges to take on. He loves to be alone for long periods of time. I, on the other hand, I like to lay in bed as long as possible. Then I meander about the morning until I have about 15 minutes to get out the door and I frantically throw myself and my daughters together. And my hobby is people. I could sit and talk to someone for hours. I love hearing people's stories while we leisurely take a walk or sit and drink coffee together. I like to be alone to clean my house. And that's about it. I love having people around me. And truth be told, Ben and I differ on our political outlook and some of our theological perspectives. We see the world through a very different lens, and we approach our relationship with God in our own unique way. When we first started dating, I questioned the sustainability of our relationship. To use Paul's metaphor in Corinthians, Ben is like a kneecap, 
and I am an eyeball. We function very differently in the body of Christ. I looked at my kneecap boyfriend and thought, surely you're not a reflection of Christ, as much of a reflection of Christ as me, an eyeball, because I see and perceive what is happening. And Ben looked at me and thought, you lazy eyeball. Don't you ever do anything? Yet the longer we were together, we came to deeply value and appreciate what the other brought to the body. And though at times it was difficult to understand aspects about my kneecap husband, we have given each other a fuller picture of who Christ is in our world. We have learned to see each other's point of view as valid, and although we don't always agree, we love and respect one another. We see Christ in the other. So we take time to listen and seek to understand rather than to assume we are right. This is one of my favorite aspects of the Covenant Church. Because our doors are open theologically speaking, we get a wider array of the body of Christ. Paul's words to the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. This verse convicted the covenant church that we need to live out this truth. So we ordain women as pastors, and we seek to be diverse in our fellowship, knowing that our stories and our personhood help shape each other into better disciples, and ultimately shape in us to be made more in the image of God. It was early covenant people who would ask one another, how goes your walk, as a way to check in on each other's spiritual well-being. These early covenant people devoted themselves to each other in a way that I pray we at Evergreen will do. They offered themselves up to be instructed convicted and shaped by those they were in fellowship with. They were good to their promises to pray for and were committed to each other. They truly sought to help each other in their daily walk with Christ by devoting their talents and time to the body that they believed in. As one of your pastors, I want you to know I need you. The work of the church cannot be done by only a select few, but it takes the whole body. Imagine if we as a church decided to live out the idea of Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and to prayer. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added the, to their number daily those who were being saved. This can be true for us as well. We need each other to show up and to be a regular part of the life here at Evergreen. We need the eyeballs and the necks and the hands and the arms, the feet, the kneecaps and the torsos to show up. We need each other so we can more fully know this God that we worship. We need each other to carry out the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. 
We need each other to carry us through the valleys of this life and help us see through to the other side. At times, we will struggle to understand the other's point of view. But when we learn to love and respect one another, we will come to see what the kingdom of God looks like. It is not that we all agree, but that we value the other as a vital part of the tapestry of the God's family, and we learn to walk side by side as mission friends, calling each other to a greater purpose in this life. This is the fellowship of believers, and it is one of the richest, most precious gifts of God. It is Jesus himself who invites you to be a part of it. Let us pray. <clears throat> oh, holy God, we are grateful for the gift of community, for the way in which you have called us to be together. You have called each of us uniquely to be a part of your body, to be working out your hands and feet in this world, to be eyes that see and ears that hear and mouthpieces to speak your good news. You have called us to be one together. We pray, O oh holy and mighty God, that you would unite us in the spirit, that we would walk in step with you, and that we would showcase that powerful love of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we would be the good news in this community. Bond us together now, Father God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.